and just trust your gut. Every time I turn around, someone's trying to sell me something and tell me how I'm doing this wrong and I'm doing that wrong and I'm doing this wrong. And every time I've tried to do the things that people told me to do, it's not been good. But if I go with my gut and I just run with what I feel like is the right thing to do in that moment, it's almost always worked out. Even when it doesn't work out, it still works out. This is Pittsburgh, a place where a rich heritage of making things and a fierce independent nature come together to create a thriving entrepreneurial community. Whether you're a small business owner looking for ideas or inspiration, or you're an enthusiastic supporter of local businesses, you'll find it here. I'm your host, Darren Volano, and this is the Proprietors of Pittsburgh podcast. Today, my guest is Samantha Story Camp. She's the owner of Pip and Lola's. Samantha, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. 100%. Thanks for asking. Can you describe what Pip and Lola's is for those who are unfamiliar with the business? What do you make and also where do you sell your products? Sure. Uh, so Pip and Lola's is a small handmade soap company. So we specialize in lightly scented. That's sort of our shtick. We have a couple of storefronts currently in the terminal building in the Strip District and also on Ivy Street, just off of Walnut in Shadyside. Um, we make over 250 something different um, lightly scented vegetarian and vegan handmade soaps. That's, that's our specialty. We have some other stuff, but that's, that's the big thing. Can you tell us about the name Pip and Lola's? Where does the name come from and why did you choose it? Sure. So um, Pip and Lola are actually the nicknames of my two youngest kids. So um, Pip is Perrin, who's now 14, and Lola is Lorelai, who's now 16. We started the company when they were two and four. So Perrin, um, who's Pip, had all kinds of insane topical skin allergies and so like all the things bleeding rashes. It was awful. And I had been making soaps for like five or six years at that point. And so I started making stuff specifically so he could use it. And then it just sort of spiraled horribly out of control, <laughs> as most things that I do. And they have such cute nicknames that you have to go with that as right. the name of your business, right? Well, it's so funny because actually, <laughs> so I, I do, I tend to do a lot of things. And I had a friend who had made me a little logo. I make jam. One of the things I also do is I make like these uh, wine jams. And so she made me this cute little logo for like my birthday as a gift. And so for me to put on my jams. And so when we decided to do the company, I was like, hey, Laura, is it okay if I steal the name and steal? Because so she, she named it. So uh, we just stole what she Oh, that's created. where Pip and, name, that's, Pip, that's where Pip and Lola was first used. That's where Pip, yeah, for Pip and Lola's Everything Homemade, that was, that oh. was all Laura's doing. And so then we took the logo that she had created for me and then sort of tweaked it. We let the kids pick the colors. So our color schemes were picked by a two and a four-year-old. <laughs> As all professionals. That's do. probably, you end up with a better result maybe. Let them think it, right? I, I just think it's so funny how it turned out. But yeah, so she actually named the company and it just, it flows so well. Um, and it was right before ampersands became everything. <laughs> now they're everywhere, but that's fine. But yeah, that's where it came from. It was that. That's great. So one of the things that makes your soap business different is that you pretty much just focus on the bar of soap itself rather than all the other ancillary products. You know, people that get into the soap making business, a lot of times they start with bars because that's sort of the foundational place yeah. to begin. But then they eventually they'll spread out to other bath and body products, bath and beauty products. They'll get into lotions and shampoo and conditioners and lip balms and all these right. other things. You've pretty much focused just and stayed decided to stay just on this one category, this product type. 
Why did you make that decision? Why was that important to you and and how you ran your business? We just started spreading out, but but we've been in business 11 years and we just started spreading out. And I I think what happens is we get into the space, you know, we're making our thing and we think, oh gosh, people also want all these other things. And they, they spread themselves so thin trying to be everything to all people. Then they don't become really great at any of those things. I can't tell you how many times I've heard of people who are like, I made this batch of soap. How do I sell it? It's like, is this your first one? <laughs> don't <laughs> don't, sell, it don't yet. sell it Oh my God. So, I mean, we, I was making for almost six years before I sold a single bar. And so for me, it was really important to get the soap to the point where I wanted it. And I wanted to make sure that that was exactly what I wanted it to so be. So it sounds like this comes from a place of, of really, it's not that you were against other product no. types or categories. It's you just really wanted to make sure you got this down pat. Right. That you knew what you were doing, that you were satisfying the need out there with this particular product before you started to branch off. Right. I mean, because the thing is, is if you want lip balms, there's a million folks who do that. If you want a lightly scented hot process soap, they ain't a whole lot of us out there. So I wanted to make sure that folks who needed our specific thing were getting the absolute best version of our specific thing that that was possible. So it's the reason we have so many of them. It's the reason we now have two lines. And so because again, like if you want a if you want like a heavy scented soap, I have 75 different options in the 10 mile radius I can give you. If you want something lightly scented. Right. I mean, and I think it sounds like you, one of the things that you understood right away and throughout the life of your business is it's not great to try to be all things to all people. Right. What you're trying to do is define a category for yourself. You know, you're, you're defining your brand, what you stand for, what makes your products different from other products out there. That's really why if people fall in love with Pip and Lola's, they know what they're getting. They're getting a specific thing because a lot of people that have businesses do fall prey to all the requests right. out there. They get all, they field all these requests. And then they try to make something for everyone. And then you end up really satisfying no one because you run yourself ragged. Right. You're, you got all the experimentation you cannot, going as on. As a human, you, all the, you cannot you be can't all keep things up with to it. all people. You can't. I mean, it's just, it's, it's impossible. Well, and, and so often people try, like even not in business, even in life, people try to be everything to everyone and you just can't. And you'll just make yourself crazy trying. So I, yeah, I was very stubborn about it. Like I caved eventually on the fragrance oil ones because we didn't do that for a long time. But it was really, really important to me that what I was creating was a gentle on your skin, lightly scented product that people who have like, especially topical allergies and a lot of like scent sensitivities could use and had options. Because like, it was funny because when we, when we first decided to start selling them, I was like, I'm not, I'm not making, I'm, I stopped making. I just read everything I could for like six, seven months. And I just researched and I researched and I researched and I researched and I realized there really, there was a lot of heavily scented. There were some unscented. There was really nothing. There was really no options in the middle. So that's why we decided to focus there because I know I personally am very scent sensitive, which is funny because I live in that, right? There's hundreds and hundreds of pounds of soap over there and I walk past certain big time retailer of soap things and I I'm instant migraine. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure that folks that have that also have just options. Mm-hmm. Now your products I noticed have such a uh, great name. Many of them have some fun <laughs> names. So things like if people are again haven't been your website or they're not familiar with your product lineup or haven't been in your stores, real men wear pink, 
Darling, the goats ate the lavender again. It's my favorite name of one. Fight Scrub. Well, it sounds like I picked some good ones then yeah. as examples. O'Shea, can you see? These are really great names. I'm wondering who's naming them? Who's got the sense of humor in the family? <laughs> who's coming up with these names? And then second, I love, by the way, I love that you have a sense of humor about your, you know, this is soap. You're having fun with it. Right. I think it's awesome. Why did you decide to go that route, you know, instead of the more serious route, let's say, with naming of your products? Um, because if you've been in a room with me for five minutes, you know that, <laughs> that being very serious and very professional is not a thing. I always say that we we take the product very seriously. We don't take ourselves seriously at all. I mean, our, our tagline is think of us while you're wet and naked. You know what I mean? Like, we're, we're not serious. Um, it, it's, so, it's so funny because the names kind of came out of how we were describing them anyway. And so mm. that's kind of where that came from. So like Kia's, um, Kia's favorite little hippie that I have, Kia was a customer of ours mm-hmm. who was like, oh, could you make me a lavender patchouli? This was early, early on. So could you make me a lavender patchouli? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I could do that. And so we named it after her. So we have several that are named specifically after people. Um, Lainey's Nettle Mint is our number one seller. And it's named after my friend Elaine who wanted a nettle soap, but she's allergic to lavender. I saw some of those with names in it. And I was wondering yeah. if that, like I was, I was wondering, are, are these either customers, family, friends, like where were some of the names coming yeah. from? So that's, that's really clever. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, a lot of times it's, it's cause they asked for it. Obviously at this point we have so many, we can't name it after everybody, but you know, a lot. And uh, Gypsy Rose Lemon is actually named after a friend of mine and Gypsy Rose is her nickname. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so like that happens, but no, the, the, the names are mostly me. Um, <laughs> theater degree. Uh, the names are mostly me. Sometimes if I just, I can't, if I just can't come up with something, we will 100% crowdsource it from our customers. Like we, we, uh, we have a Facebook group and we're actually right now um, crowdsourcing what we should call our followers. Hmm. So uh, like as a group and yeah, as like, a what do you guys want to call group? yourselves? And like one of the suggestions we got, which I laughed so hard, there might've been a little bit of peeing myself happening. Um, Oh, with soap scum. <laughs> I was like, oh, please. I let me pick that one. That's my favorite. Um, yeah. So sometimes we'll go to them and we'll be like, what do you guys think? And then we'll have people vote on it. And then whosoever name gets picked, then they'll win a couple of free bars and, you know, that's, we'll that's just great. make a thing out of it. Crowdsourcing is awesome. And it's, I think it's such a smart way with, especially when you have like fun products like this that you, and you have so many of them that you can, you can do fun things with. So, well, and we, and I know people say this, but like, we, honest to God, we have the absolute best customer base. Our customers have, have had our back and have supported us through, like, we've made some mistakes and they've, they've been there for us, you know, for over a decade. And I am eternally grateful to them every single day. And they're fun and they're funny and they're weird and they come up with crazy stuff and, and they're just, they're great. So, yeah, I don't know how we got so lucky to like fall into this group of people but yeah, so like we, we try to keep them entertained <laughs> as much as humanly possible because they're just, they've been wonderful. For, I mean, I don't even know most of these people and they've just been great. So you brought some products with you today. I did. And uh, we have a beautiful little display here that folks that are um, going to watch a clip on YouTube when this comes out, they'll be able to see this. But for those listening, could you maybe just talk about one or two of them? You kind of already talked about one, but yeah. maybe you have one or two other ones that you could just mention uh, briefly a little bit about it so we can get a, a a feel for what you're offering in your store. Sure. So uh, you'll notice first off that there's two different color boxes. So um, we have two main lines. Um, the brown boxes, that's my baby right there. So those are the all natural ones. Those are... Those represent the beginning, the genesis. That's the beginning. Okay. That, those, yeah, those are the babies. So those are all natural. They're mostly vegan. Some are vegetarian because they'll have like honey or 
goat's milk or something in them. They're all naturally colored. It's all essential oil-based. There's a whole bunch of them that are unscented. There's probably about 100 or so in that line. If you are and just to name a couple of them, you have you have the two that you had mentioned. Yeah, we have Kia's favorite have... old hippie, um, Gypsy Rose Lemon. We have Fight Scrub. Uh, we have a shampoo bar here, which is Nantog. Um, all of our shampoo, well, not all of them, most of our shampoo bars are either Gaelic or Irish named because mm. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> we got we got that hair one day, and we're just like, we're gonna do this. You want to... <laughs> That's great. And now, like, we, we come up with new shampoos. We're like, oh, what's 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 Gaelic for this? Got to start looking it up. I know <laughs> it's so stupid. And we're hoping to God we got it right. And that's Gaelic for what? What does it mean? Um, Niantog is nettle. Oh, okay. For nettle, yeah. Um, we have one that is Gaelic for uh, clean skull. There's one that means happy hair. <laughs> it's just stupid. So the white boxes, that's our soap goddess loves Shakespeare line. Our customers started calling me the soap goddess one day, like early, early Great on. Great name, by the way. It's yeah, awesome that's funny. So right now, my official title in our business license is owner, operator, and goddess of soaps. Which is so funny. It's, awesome. it's, it's official. You are um, having fun with the business. Yes, I we love are. That. So th- that's our um, Shakespeare line. So these are artificially scented. So those are fragrance oil scented. Um, they are mica colored. They're not soap dyes. So they're mica, which is naturally derived. It's like tiny, tiny, tiny little pieces of metal that are painted. Teeny, teeny. Um, so these are artificially scented. These are all vegetarian because they have yogurt in them. But they're all named after Shakespeare characters because... Again, theater degree. The theater, the theater background. That's awesome. <laughs> and I was like, people like twisted my arm about the fragrance oils because people would come in and like, I want blueberry or I want, you know, I want something that smells like the ocean. I'm like, I can't do that naturally. And so. Is that how you got into some of the artificial? Just because yeah. there were, there were, there's just certain things you're just not going to be able to recreate. Right. Right. Naturally. Right. You're just it's not going to be able to do it. Which is funny because a lot of fruits you can't. Mm-hmm. Citrus you can. Mm-hmm. Citrus you can. Citrus right. you can do you naturally. you have the oils, Right. But yeah, I mean, good luck trying to do blueberry naturally. But I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to do the fragrance oil, we're going to do it my way. Mm-hmm. And it's really funny because people will come in and they'll see names, which is why I actually brought Jessica. They'll come in and they'll see the names. And they're like, oh, do you have Clarence? I'm like, well, it has to be from a Shakespeare play. Now that I'm saying that, I bet you Clarence is a Shakespeare character. But I had someone come into the store, I don't know, five or six months ago. And she's like, oh, do you have Jessica? I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. It has to be a Shakespeare name. And she's like, um, Merchant of Venice. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. Don't mess with the Shakespearean oh, uh, theater, folks. I've never seen it. I've read it. I have Portia. <laughs> I have Shylock. What's that? Yeah, so that's kind of funny. And what's nice about the Shakespeare thing is it gives me infinite possibilities because there's, you know, 37 plays. So I can come up with... All I like kinds. that you're upfront too with the um, the two different lines. So you're, you can serve two different audiences. You have the original in the craft paper box, which is representing the natural line. And there's going to be people that are going to swear by that. They're going to yeah. want. They're going to want that. Um, I would fall into that category. Yeah. But the folks that want the more exotic sense or the sense that are hard to recreate. But you're upfront with, hey, there's there's going to be some. There has to be some artificial scenting in these. That's the only way we can make it right. work. And as long as you know that, and I'm going to differentiate with a different box color. Right. So I think that, you know, from a business perspective, you're really smart about how you did that and very upfront with your customers about what they're getting. Well, yeah, there's a lot of deception, especially in, in the bath and body sector about what's real and what isn't. And so because of people having access to things that they're not allergic to or aren't going to have a sensitivity to is so important to us. And because of the lightly scented thing is so important to us. That was the other reason why we wanted to go ahead and do that. But we're, we're very clear on this is this, this is this. Like, if you're super sensitive, go that way. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to the beginning, like 12 years ago is when you started this whole thing. And yeah. you mentioned that earlier. You were living, I think, in Washington State at the time, yeah. so you are in a different place. You started with a book on 
how to make soap. You even said earlier that you were you spent six months, you know, retooling and reading yeah. again. So studying and trying to get the product down pat in your kitchen or wherever you were making it, trying to get the recipes down was part of your experience, part of your process. I'm wondering first, what made you want to even try it? Like what, what made you pick the book up to begin with and, and decide? And then you said you had kids and, and people in your family that had some sensitivities. And, you know, I'm wondering if that drove some of the early experimentation or making your own, maybe you just weren't finding what you wanted out in the marketplace for your family. But then how did you go from that to actually having a business? How do you make that transition? Because a lot of people do things for hobbies and they don't always turn into businesses. Was this an evolution? Was it a conscious choice? Did you just find yourself at the farmer's market selling product? How did this happen? So I do a lot of theater, but my job previously was I was a reporter. So I belonged to one of those online writers forums, you know, because that's what you do. And so there was this woman, her name was Amy. She was the soap crone. And she had written this book on how to make soap in your kitchen. So I bought this book to be supportive. I'm like, oh, Amy. I'm like, oh, cool, cast gifts. That's how this started (laughs) was cast presents. Wow. So because I usually give closing night gifts. A lot of people do opening night gifts. I do closing night gifts. And so what I would do is I would create with this book that I bought, I would create a soap that was appropriate for whatever show I was in. And I would give those out. Like, thanks for being in the show with me. Here you go. And so then, you know, years would pass and people were like, hey, that one you made for nonsense, can you make that one again? Or, oh, you made that one. Can, can, I, can I get that one from you? Can I get that one from you? And so that was going on for several years. So I was just making them and giving them to folks. And we were using them at home, but then I was just making them and giving them to folks. And then people really started, like, pushing me. So I kind of got pushed into that. I hadn't... I was not somebody who grew up wanting to be in business. I'm an actor. You know, I'm a theater kid. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I have a theater degree. Uh, I was saying, like, don't ask me. I have a theater degree. But I sort of got pushed into it. So I had gone with a friend. We were actually going to start a different business. We were actually going to start a business doing um, singing telegrams. Was actually what we're going to do, but like like sort of a different thing where we're actually going we're going to write songs specifically for people, and we were going to do the singing telegram thing, and so we went to this thing at the SBA on how to start your business, and we're in this meeting, and she was being all squirrely and couldn't even sit through the meeting. The soap kept popping back. The up soap in your kept head. popping up back up in my head, and so I went home, and I was like, hey, you know, I was talking to Bruce. I was like, so the meeting was didn't grow great, and girl kept leaving, and I'm like, but we could do this with the soap. And this is your husband. Bruce. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, we could do this with the soap. We could, like, we could. I'm like, let me sit on that for a minute. And, and, and like I do with most things, someone on Facebook, I'm like, what do you guys think about this? You guys keep asking me to sell these. What do you think about this? And they're like, yes. And, so, and then all of a sudden, like, everyone's pouncing on me doing this thing. So eight or nine months later, we launched our Etsy page and we sold like 100 bars in the first week. Like, why are people? <laughs> why are people buying? Why this? are people buying these? <laughs> Must be good. <laughs> I know, and people get all excited. I'm like, guys, it's just soap. Like, but I think because because the recipes are super simple, um, they know what they're getting. But it just sort of evolved from there. And I, we have customers now that have, were like the first week we were buying, and they're still with us, which is crazy. But they stuck it out for you know you know over a decade. So. Um, it was really funny. The first time I realized we had sold more in a single day than we had done our entire first year. That, that was like three three years ago, I think, we did that the first time. Because we did, we did about $4,000 our first year. And so we had this one crazy day where we had sold that. I think, I think it was during a handmade arcade between that and the stores. I think it was that. And it's like, oh, my God, guys, we just did an entire year in one day. And it blows my mind. Like, it blows my mind how many bars we sell 
Like I'm the one who's making them constantly. It still blows my mind. I'm very grateful just for it. It sort of took off it after did. you got like, into it. Kind yeah. of out of my control. <laughs> I'm like, okay, guys. So you work in the business. Your husband works in the business. You mentioned that. The business is named after two of your kids. Yeah. It's a family business, very essentially. Much. So, you know, I'm wondering, uh, do the kids help out in the family business? Um, what's it like to work with family members on a daily basis? What do the kids think about both of you being involved, you know, pretty much full time in this yeah. thing? How does this, uh, I know as a kid who grew up in a, you know, with a mom in a family business too, I, I kind of know what this is like and I'm wondering what it's like for you guys. It's, yeah, my, my 30 year old who lives with us also works for the business. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of- <laughs> Everybody's in it. Yeah. Everybody's in it. it. It's, it's, I don't know. We don't, we don't necessarily separate it. So when we come home, we, it's not that we don't talk about work. We're together all day. Like the littles actually are doing school online. So they are doing school at work. You know, they each have a little desk. So they're doing their classes on site. So we're just together all day. And, and I know a lot of folks can't do that. And there is sometimes bickering, especially since the little two are in their teens now. Um, I say little two, parents six foot. <laughs> um, he's like so tall. He's gotten so tall. But I don't know. Like, I, I feel like there's a mutual respect that happens. Like we get frustrated with each other, but we understand it's not you. It's the situation. I like to think that because we just all genuinely like each other, it's good. Sometimes the kids get mad. Like sometimes if we ask them to do stuff, they get mad. But like, I think they're also starting to come out of that. I think they're starting to see, because they're now they're slightly older teens. Lorelai, mm-hmm. at least I think they're starting to see a the benefit of it, that we get to spend time together that a lot of their friends don't get to spend time with their parents that have this kind of thing. They start to see that their setup is unique right. in that way. Yeah. And and the 14-year-old has decided that, oh, well, mom's going to die someday, so I got to take this over. So he has started really sort of watching to see how this goes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's kind of how he phrased it to me. He's like, <laughs> well, you can't run it forever, so someone's going to have to take it over when you die. I'm like, thanks, Baron. <laughs> thanks. That's great. Uh- yeah, kids, kids do have a, a love-hate relationship sometimes. With I know I experienced that too and with my sister and... And brother, mainly my sister, because we're similar in age. My brother was much older, so he was kind of already leaving the house when the business started. We lived above my mother's business. She had a hair salon. And uh, so I think the business was only like three years old, and my brother was already graduating high school and going into the Navy. So, But my sister and I pretty much grew up. I was 10 when she uh, opened it. And uh, yeah, there's like there's all these benefits to being close because we were upstairs. So there's like, you want to bug mom it's pretty easy to go down and bug mom, right. but there's some drawbacks to doing that too. Uh, or if there's some things you want to do upstairs and you don't want mom to necessarily know, it's kind of hard to do pull pull that off. Right. But yeah, there's, and then you, you sometimes you, you enjoy the fact that your parent has a business and there's a lot of benefits to it. And then sometimes you sort of resent it because there's things that you maybe can't do or you can't go on a trip or you can't because, you know, you're so tied to the business. So yeah. there's, there's pros and cons. And then when you're little, it sounds like you went through this with your kids, you know, you sort of go, it's, you get hot and cold on it. But then as you get older, as the children get older, and maybe you're getting into that phase now, as as we get older in the teenage years, and then high school, and then even beyond, you start to really do, as you get older, you appreciate what they were doing. And you see it in a new, because you're, you're maturing, you see it in a new perspective. And you're, and now, I mean, anybody that listens to my podcast knows how much I talk about her as an example, because she's really a major example for me of why I even do this. I know she wasn't in podcasting. It's a whole other story. But she had a really 
amazing story that she never got to tell because podcasting didn't exist when she had her business. And I, that's part of the reason why I do this. So one day I'm sure your, your kids will be, uh, talking about you in the same way. And, and so it sounds like you're going through that evolution as we speak. What's nice is even though like we definitely as a family have struggled financially because of this, you know, because if I can relate need, to that if too. people yeah. need to get paid yeah. and they ain't enough to cover everybody. You pay yourself last. We pay yourself yeah. last. And so it's, just, it's, it's also shocking to me how often people don't do that, but that's another story. So there is sometimes a resentment of we can't afford it. Like, so sometimes there is that resentment. But we also, we do this thing with the company where, um, so for every two items that we sell over the course of a year, we donate over the course of that year uh, one full-size bar of soap to domestic violence shelters. So we give away a lot of bars. So last year we gave away like just shy of 13,000. Our goal for this year is 25,000. We're falling a little short right now, but that's our goal for this year. We'll see what happens in the second I, I half wanted of the to, year. I'm glad you brought that up. I actually wanted to ask you about that because I noticed that on your website that you had this, what I thought was an extremely generous donation program of this. You know, you you're, for every two bars you sell, essentially you give a bar away. That seemed, it's a lot. That seemed really generous to me. And so good on you for being able to do that. I was wondering first how you can pull that off, you know, financially. And then also maybe you could also just tell us a little bit about what inspired that and, and where, where does some of the bars of soap go? So the reason that came about, so from almost our first six months, we've had this program, which we call the suspended soaps based on that. Co- have you ever heard of suspended coffees? Have you ever heard of that? Mm-mm. So and I think it's really popular in Italy. Like you could go into a cafe, you could pre-buy a cup of coffee for a homeless person who might need one. Right. So then if they need one, they could come in and I'd like to have one of those coffees. And I know there's a pizza place in New York that also does this. And so we've had that with the soap. So someone can come in, they can pre-buy a bar of soap, then we'll match it. So we're not like making money on it. So then we'll take those two bars and put them on a shelf. And then if someone comes in, which hardly ever happens, but it has happened. If someone comes in, I just really need a bar of soap. Can I have one of those? Yes, here, because it's been paid for. Generally what happens is we'll get 40 or 50 of them accumulated. Those soaps go to food banks or homeless shelters or teen centers or whatever. It's like p- people who need things. We donated a bunch to, um, I think it's called A+. Plus. They, they had a bus stop program where they were donating like on the hill, like they were donating a bunch of like, like necessities to kids who needed them. That, so we had that. During lockdown, because I grew up the way I grew up, all I could think about were all those people stuck at home with their abusers. And it's one thing to be in an abusive situation when you can leave. It's a completely different thing when there's nowhere to go. And that's all I could think about. So a long talk with my husband about it. So that, that, and then actually I went to our customer base. I'm like, I want to do something. What do you guys think? And so that's how the Buy Two program came about. So we've been sort of rotating through various domestic violence shelters all over the, uh, the state. So um, I think the last one was the Beaver area shelter, but we've done like Crisis Center North, um, Domestic Violence Shelter of uh, Southwest PA, The Mission down in Washpaw. There's one place out in Media. There's a place in Lancaster we've done, um, a couple places in Philly. So like we just sort of rotate through and we're always looking for a new shelter or system that needs them. Because like if you're having just a really crappy day and you've somehow escaped that situation and good for you for getting out of there, um, that's actually when it's the most dangerous. But 
just having a nice bar of soap on a really bad day can sort of change your entire outlook. So that's why that came about. So as came up often in this conversation, you're an actress, you have a theater background, you went to school actually here in Pittsburgh at Point Park University. First, what attracted you to acting? Why why did you want to do that? I know this is a big passion of yours from talking to you. You've been in a, a number of things. And uh, you still, you're actively involved even up till today. So what interested you in acting? And then secondly, what are some of the things that you've done maybe in recent years or even recently that we would know? Are there theater venues around the city that that you tend to perform in? And what are some of the roles that you've had? Oh, sure. Um, so <laughs> again, going to that whole, like my background thing, theater got me out of my house. That's kind of how it started, was it got me out of my house. I started when I was eight, eight I've been acting for 42 years, um, a long time. So I think at the time, I think when I was younger, the thing that really attracted it to me was getting to be somebody else for a change, you know? And it's funny because like as as I grew, there would be, I sort of established who I was as a person. I didn't have great role models. So, but what I had were these parts I played or these parts that were in things I was in. So like, oh, I like this aspect of this person's personality. I'm going to keep that. Oh, I like this. I'm going to keep that. And so... You get to try on different personalities. You get to try on different personalities and you get to keep the parts that you like. And I think we do that in real life with, with relatives and friends, you know, but I got to do it this way. I mostly do theater. My, my favorite thing about acting, my absolute, to this day, my absolute favorite thing about acting is the why we do what we do, right? So like, okay, so I'm a murderer, but why am I a murderer? The motivation. Right, because like, if you understand why people are who they are, you develop much more empathy for people in general anyway. Mm-hmm. And so that, I love that. I was like, okay, fine. These, these, this is why, this is who this person is, but why are they Acting that really kind of forces you to be empathetic. Because I think it's, so. you're, you're thinking of all these different roles and all these different personalities and why people are doing different things, maybe more on a deeper level than most of right. us are as we're floating through the day. We're just always so focused inwardly right. on ourselves. What's our own motivation? What are our own goals? And why are people getting in the way of my, <laughs> of my, right. my goals? Honest <laughs> to goodness, people don't wake up this morning thinking, how am I going to screw you over? Um, and, I, and I think that people forget that. I I think we're so we get so wrapped up in in our stuff that we forget that other people have their stuff and sometimes our stuff overlaps. Right. Absolutely. So I think I mean I think that's very much a thing. But yeah, I love the psychology of it. That's that's I mean it seems I, I know this is not why you do this because the business came about way after your you the acting has been going on for a lot longer than the soap business, right. but I would imagine that your experience as an actor has helped you as a business owner Very because that, 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 that skill of empathy, which is really a skill is going to help you with knowing what people want, with talking to people in the shop. It's helped me with the marketing, with the marketing. There's yeah. just so many things that that can really, cause you understanding people better is just good business. Right. Again, not, that's not why you do it, but I just, there, that overlap just seems to stand out to me. Yeah. And I, I incorporate the two things a lot. Um, and sort of pull them together as much as I humanly can. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. And I think I think that's why they're a little weird because I'm a little weird and that's okay. And I'm wondering, is, is Shakespeare a passion? Because you have I this whole line. Is it, were you a Shakespearean actor? Yes. Yeah, I've actually played um, Lady M a couple times. I've played Tamora in um, Titus a couple times. I was Goneril in King Lear um, out in Washington. I think I've been in 12 of them. You can always, like, if you come into the store, you can tell which shows I've been in because we have more soaps <laughs> from that one. Like, I did Pericles a couple years ago, and, and so now we have a bunch of Pericles. Um, yeah, I would do them all the time if I could. So we mentioned the new store in Shadyside. That's a new storefront you have. Yeah. I've 
peeked my head in there. It's a cute little place. You've operated now locally at, out of a couple different locations. Yeah. And then recently you had the to make the decision to close down a location. And I'm wondering, you know, if you could tell us what that experience was like and what you learned from that. Because to me, there's a lot of great learning can actually come from things that either don't work out the way you think or things that you're experimenting with and you're just trying on. You know, you tried that that location on and then you decided that, hey, right. that's not working. What kind of lessons do you learn from a situation like that to help you run your business? Well, if you learn anything, nothing's a failure, right? You have to learn something every day. So, um, so we were still in the Homestead store and Strip District approached us. The terminal building approached us about opening there. And um, I was like, oh, my God. I had no intention of ever having more than one location. But, <laughs> but, but, and I say this in all honesty, if there is a place that we belong, it's the Strip District. And I, and I, I have felt that for years. Because, you know, I had lived here before and then was in Washington State and then came back. So when they came to us, and we had looked, we had looked at some spaces. And it was, it's, so, it's so hard to get in down there. But they came to us. I'm like, okay. I've never run two locations before. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to hire people. I don't know how to, I don't know how to manage inventory. I don't know how to schedule. I don't know how to do any of that stuff. So I was in a panic because we knew Strip was going to be busy. Like we knew, we knew it was. Six weeks or so later, the mall approaches us. And I was like, that would open sooner. It's like a dress rehearsal. That's absolutely how I viewed it was a dress rehearsal. I went into it knowing it probably wasn't going to be permanent and it probably wasn't going to be awesome. Um, it was worse than I thought, but I knew it wasn't going to be great. I figured we would break even on it. I didn't expect us to lose as much money as we did, but I, I figured we would break even on it. But it taught me how to do so many things. We never had barcodes before. I mean, we had them for like our wholesalers, but we never did it in store. I had never tried to schedule nine people and figure out like the best times to put people and make sure we have enough coverage. And I had never done any of that stuff before. So having Robinson for about six months before we opened Strip District taught me how to do it. I got to work out all those kinks. I got to make all the mistakes, got that all worked out before we opened Strip District right before the holidays. So going into Strip District was then much, much smoother. So even though it's going away, and even though it ended up being a little bit of a nightmare, I'm so glad we did it because I learned so much from it. I wish it didn't cost me so much money because I don't have it to spare, but I still like, I don't, I don't regret having done it. Samantha, as we wrap up, what advice could you leave for other small business owners, you know, entrepreneurs who are listening to this now? You've learned a lot of lessons uh, throughout the years. You've been in business a long time. I know you kind of gradually worked your way into it as you told the story of, you know, it wasn't like you opened up with a big storefront right out of the gate. But you've been doing this a long time. You've operated multiple locations. You have a website. You've done all the farmer's markets, all the different markets. What types of things stand out to you as major lessons that maybe somebody could benefit from if they hear this? Authenticity is huge. It's huge. I've always been really, really open with our customer base about who we are, what we are, when we make mistakes. If you make a mistake, own it. Because... Hiding your mistakes isn't going to make people respect you more. And I think people think that. It's like, I have to present this perfect exterior, and I, I, no one can know how scared I am, and no one can know how I screwed this thing up. And being honest with folks and saying, okay, I'm so sorry, I did, and, and not, I'm not trying to pass the box, like, this was my screw up, I'm so, so sorry, and just letting people know that you're human, has, I think that, that has gotten us further than 
I think that's gotten us further than the product has. I think that's gotten us further than any marketing that we've ever done. We were just really real with folks. I don't necessarily know how else to be, but I think that seems to be the thing. And just trust your gut. Every time I turn around, someone's trying to sell me something and tell me how I'm doing this wrong and I'm doing that wrong and I'm doing this wrong. And every time I've tried to do the things that people told me to do, it's not been good. But if I go with my gut and I just run with what I feel like is the right thing to do in that moment, it's almost always worked out. Even when it doesn't work out, it still works out long term. But yeah, that's, I, mean, I would say that's the big thing. And be prepared to be broke. And that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't forget about that. Don't forget about that. Yeah. Samantha, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Appreciate it having you on. Absolutely. Thank you so much for asking. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please do me and the Pittsburgh small business community a huge favor by giving it a rating on your favorite podcast app. It really helps others to find the show so that we can continue to build our community. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do. And if you know someone who should be on the podcast, or you'd like to connect with me, you can reach me at proprietorsofpittsburgh.com or at 412-336-8247. I'm Darren Volano, and this is the Proprietors of Pittsburgh podcast. Take care.